Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow, Hello. Zaki Hassan. Howdy, howdy. And Cicero Holmes. Everything that I have to say about this episode is a secret. <laughs> How very Romulan of you! <laughs> Excellent. Well, you, hey, it's a it's a good topic to to be secretive about. Um, so we're now on to our second regular episode discussion revolving around the newly launched series Star Trek Picard, where we're going to be talking about the second episode of its first season. Uh, but first, it's actually come to my attention that we may have picked up a few new listeners last week because hey, it's a Star Trek show. Maybe you're excited about the fact that there's new stuff in the franchise. And because of that, I feel like I should reiterate something that newcomers may not know about our show that I dunderheadedly forgot to mention last week. So we all got together very hastily because of the premiere of Star Trek Discovery about two and a half years ago now. My God, it's been two and a half years. It's crazy. And if you're looking for a show that's going to take you step by step through every painstaking detail of the latest Star Trek episode, it's not really our show's style. We basically design our episode discussions as supplemental to the watching experience, not as a substitute for it. So if you're looking for an exhaustive recap, you might want to look elsewhere, but I hope that you enjoy our discussions about each episode after you absorb the plot in whatever way you absorb it, preferably by actually watching the show, but hey, I'm I'm not going to judge. So so that being said, for anyone jumping aboard with us, welcome. We hope you like our show and what we all have to say. Uh, Happy happy first contact, AP. Yeah, (laughs) hopefully hopefully a happier one than the one that happened in 2385. Am I right? Uh, 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 (laughs) But uh, but first, let's catch up with our panel since uh, since last week. So Cicero, why don't you start us off? How have things been going in the last week since we spoke and what have you been up to? Uh, yeah, things are, things are going great. Uh, as of this recording, we are less than, uh, uh, two days away from, uh, my 49ers, um, playing in the big sports ball contest. On ah, Saturday. yes. Yes. Yeah. Sports ball. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully I, I will be listening to the playback of this recording with a big smile on my face. Um, uh, otherwise I'll still have a big smile on my face because I am with my friends. Uh, and, um, the other thing that's going on in the world of Trek for me is I am continuing my reverse broadcast order rewatch of, uh, Star Trek series. Uh, I, and, and for those who don't know, I am on Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm in the fifth season and, uh, the last episode last week when we talked about it, uh, I, said that uh, Kira was still spoiler alert for DS nine. Kira was still uh, pregnant with, uh, with uh, chief O'Brien's baby. Uh, she has since had that baby uh, in, in the episodes that, I, that I've watched and, uh, and Odo has returned to form um, the, it, 
that lasted a lot longer than I had expected it would. Um, that that and and it, you know what? It it lasted. Here's the brilliance of that show. Um, it, it it was always the the greatest of Star Trek shows in terms of uh, dramatic resonance. I, I think to me, but the brilliance of the show was that Odo Odo becoming a solid, becoming a human, lasted so long that. I was almost tricked into believing that this is how he was going to be forever. And, and the character also believed that he was going to be like that forever. And, and that was really cool. I think that that was like, it became believable that he um, at, at first wholly rejected his new reality and then came to grips with it and started to appreciate it. And then it changed. And then there were things about it that he missed. And I, I think that that is really, really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm at the point now where the, uh, Cardassians have made a, uh, very, very strategic and antagonistic alliance. And, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how well that, uh, just implodes everything. It never seemed quite right, did it? Yeah. Oh. Oh, I remember the rage. I saw that most definitely. Well, excellent. That's great to hear. Zachy, how have things been going the last week? Pretty good. Yeah, I, I've hit pause once again on my uh, ongoing Star Trek rewatch. Uh, for the time being, I've, I'm, I'm uh, ensconced in another West Wing rewatch ah. um, because I, I, I need the comfort of a competent presidential administration. <laughs> Uh, an, an empathetic deference to you, sir. It's Absolutely. it's 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 all science fiction at this point, right? Yeah. That show. <laughs> yeah, true enough. I mean, I've made the Star Trek comparison in the past that the West Wing is uh, the the modern period of the Prime timeline, and House of <laughs> Cards was the modern period of the Mirror Universe. But now it might be the other way around. Yeah, I, yeah. I do not know. Uh, but yeah, well, that, that's a great show to absorb. I'm I'm a I'm a fan as well. Never watched it. Oh, never well, watched. You got a you got a great show waiting for you whenever yeah. you can. Yeah. Oh, Netflix. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe it is on Netflix. Yeah, All at right. least for the time being, because right. it's probably going to move to HBO Max. That's right. When uh, when that service comes out. Uh, uh, yeah, so. I just I just don't know if I have HBO or if I have access to it. I'm an HBO subscriber, but I don't like. Uh, you know, uh, all of that stuff can kick rocks, man. Yeah. As we, I mean, as we talk about a show that is on a, a, on a subscription <laughs> service. So, I, I believe, uh, sister, I believe if you have HBO now or HBO Go, whatever their thing is, th- that will become a, a subscription to HBO. Yeah, but I don't because I cut the cord. So I have HBO through Hulu. So, yeah. Uh, then, then, I, then I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's a jury like, rig setup yeah, now. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, like uh, man, I just uh, man, I so abhor the fact that I've got to do like calculus to figure <laughs> out if if I have access to a service to a channel that I already subscribe to. Like this is uh, is uh. HBO Max is the most confusing because it's some people are going to have it automatically. I think if your phone is like AT and T, don't. Aren't they just going to give it to you or something? I don't yeah, know. maybe. I don't know. Oh. I mean, look, they're going to have a Green Lantern show. That gets my attention for for whatever it's worth. But, I mean, 
we have enough of these services that uh, something's got to give. I mean, they, they, this is an unsustainable model. Yeah, it's, it, it's definitely going to collapse in on itself. Uh, I think we're getting to the point now. I mean, because NBC is about to release their own service. This has turned right. into a, like, yeah, right, right. So like, yeah, you know, I mean, this Peacock service is coming out and, you know, so like all, all of this stuff is, it's, it's gonna, it's definitely going to collapse under its own weight. Peacock led by a reboot of, or not even a reboot, a decades belated sequel to Punky Brewster. Oh, oh what? Sign me up. Yeah. And, yeah. and Saved by the Bell. Are you kidding? Yes, yeah, oh, Saved by the Bell God. I knew about, but I didn't know it was going to be on Peacock. I thought it was just going to be on broadcast TV for crying out loud, guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe 2020 is the year that uh, people, real, people say enough. Um, well, well, I think it's just confusion more than like outrage. It's just like, do I? Well, I mean, that's that's, that's kind of part of it, though. Is the confusion will lead to outrage because you think you'll have you you'll think that you have access to the service simply because you're paying for another service that is uh, attached corporately to so you know is within the same corporate family as some other service, and Actually, then you find out you don't. It could be worse though, because confusion can lead not to outrage but to apathy. And if it leads to apathy, then people aren't going to spend their money. Well, apathy is yeah. So yeah, and and you know if if I can add a if I can add a thought, I think, and this is a I actually had this conversation with my students where I was like, the upside of the streaming boom that we're currently in is that we get a show like Star Trek Picard. You know, yes. probably in in either the network paradigm or even syndication. I don't think it would exist certainly in this form, right? That so that's awesome. Is for us, hey, we got more of this thing that we love. The downside is more and more the audience is getting so fractured that we lose we lose these things being sort of things that span demographics or span. You know, they bring people together, which you know, next generation certainly was at its peak, you know? Yeah. Uh, television events are very much a thing. Yeah, yeah. Appointment, appointment TV is, yeah. You know, the appointment is when you set it. Yeah. Um, and, and, right. And, and those water cooler moments, you know, like the right. going, going into the office and did you see the thing, you know, nowadays it's, did you see the thing? Three people say yes. A fourth person says no. And depending on who that fourth person is, you either can only talk about the non-spoilery part of it, or you can't even talk about it at all. Yeah. So you know, there, here we are. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I mean, I, I and I know that. Look, CBS All Access deserve criticism for it, absolutely. Especially considering that these Star Trek shows are easier to watch in other parts of the world uh, by being on some of the pre-existing services. But at the end of the day, too. You guys have heard me talk about it ad nauseum on this show before. Star Trek was not getting nearly enough attention from the people that own it. And if we're now in a situation where Star Trek specifically, just in isolation, is finally getting recognition and resources to create more stories, that's enough for me to keep signing up for CBS All Access for the foreseeable future. That's how much I love Star Trek. But I don't know if there's enough segmented specialized audiences for these other shows to support all of these other services. So we're about to find out. Yeah. No kidding. One way or another, whether we want to or not, I, there isn't. 
Like, yeah. like, <laughs> well, hey, I've never you know. been to a Punky Brewster convention, but maybe it's uh, maybe it's big business. The answer is no. <laughs> hey. uh, all right. Well, Rachel, last week, how how you doing? Uh, fine. I don't know. Love Island UK is back. Oh, yes, it is. Um, I don't know. It feels weird to watch it in the winter. Um, I feel like it's just a show that like when it's summertime and you're like, yeah, pop music and bikinis, it's summer, baby. In the winter, I'm like, I feel like I should just like be engaging my mind a little bit more. Wait until you're watching Love Island while holding a baby, too. Yeah. That might be kind of weird. No, no, it'll be perfect. It won't require (laughs) me to be paying attention that much. Perfect. Maybe I should save it. You do you. All right. All right. Well, uh, we do have an episode to talk about. So let's move along to our discussion for Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 2, Maps and Legends. So in a flashback uh, that takes place a couple of years before the Hobus star goes supernova and destroys Romulus. We get to see what life was like at Utopia Planitia Mars, Utopia Planitia shipyards on Mars when it employed synthetics as laborers alongside the human workers. And it becomes pretty clear uh, that we're about to see the synthetic uprising that was depicted in the children of Mars short track. And that um, was basically the event that kept the Federation from interfering in uh, the evacuation of Romulus. So the androids being used there have a rather basic resemblance to data, but are far less advanced and even human than their apparent forerunner. Rather abruptly, we get to see the beginning of a revolt by the synths, which ends with a planetary defense system being turned against Mars, and the synth F8 kills at least one of his human co-workers without hesitation or reaction. Um. Just to, I, I kind of wanted to kick off this part of the discussion by uh, talking about a new form of brilliance from this show that I am now immensely appreciative of. So something comes to mind about this immediately when it comes to the synths. Data now in 2020 looks very much like a product of 90s TV, right? Since he's basically a guy painted white gold with yellow eyes. Someone might even call Data's look cheap by the standards of modern television. But then, here comes Star Trek Picard. We see a show like this with resources either equal to or surpassing the resources that were given to Star Trek Discovery, which already had a massive budget behind it, and far more elaborate makeup effects. And when we see F8 and the other synths, This is what kind of emphasizes that brilliance to me, because yes, to us, Data seems like a simple makeup job, but now, in the context of the Star Trek universe, it becomes even more apparent how much of a massive achievement that Data was as a synthetic humanoid. These synths are basically the best that late 24th century humanity can do, and the bigger budget of this show allows them to look and feel more fake. And you compare that with Data, and... I was watching the other day. Do you remember Birthright Part 1 in TNG where it starts off with the Enterprise docked at DS9 and Dr. Bashir meets Data in sickbay and then later in engineering? And he remarks about how much trouble Dr. Soong went to 
to make data appear human by giving him a pulse, which just, I think it pulsated lubricant through his body and his hair grows, his inflections, even his voice, you know, his voice, we saw data in the very first episode of Picard sounds like a normal human voice. F8s did not. And Dr. Soon goes through all this trouble to make data appear human, giving him a pulse, making his hair grow. He breathes. Data looks like a human being painted a different color, but that makes him more human. You see what I mean? I just love that this show and the resources behind it, because of the more advanced makeup effects now, make data seem like more of an achievement, even in the context of our own world. It's a far simpler makeup job than F8. Uh, what do you guys think about that? First of all, just the, the opening of this episode and what we got to see. But I'd also love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, Zachy, please go first. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's, I hadn't even considered uh, the perspective that you were offering. And, and I find that so insightful. Like it, it enhances my appreciation uh, of, of what they're doing. You know, that's super cool. Uh, above and beyond that, I think the sequence itself, I was, I was appreciating uh, the prologue of this episode as I was watching it. If for no other reason than the fact that we're getting this window into the working class, non Starfleet corner of, you know, uh, Federation life in the 24th century. And, And I mean, we've never gotten that, that I can recall. No, I mean, Cassidy might have given us kind of a glimpse, but it wasn't like this. It wasn't like this ground level thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, you know, uh, that's my appreciation of this series stems from the fact that it is doing this. It's giving us brave new worlds that we haven't seen, even as we're still pretty much earthbound, you know? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And, and I mean, it's also in, in its own way uniquely horrifying by seeing the uh the uprising as it happened oh, and yeah. uh the lack of humanity exhibited by f8 and the other synths that we saw hmm. uh oh, there's just so many different angles to it uh yeah rachel what did you think of the way why, it started why was it before the star went supernova it was established in star trek 09 that that was 2387 and this was first contact day 2385. So how did this, I, cause I thought that, um, I thought that the star went supernova and then Picard was going to rescue people. And then the synth attack happened and stopped him. No, apparently this episode, at least I think reveals that a latent effect of the synth attack is what has caused a more generally isolationist federation to take hold. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So in the previous episode, during the exposition dump, that was the interview. He, he said that he was aware that the uh, Romulan star was approaching supernova and he was trying to mount a rescue effort. So, you know, two years uh, cosmically is, is nothing. So, yeah, right. so, you okay. know, and, and, and trying to find. So it did happen rescue. while he was trying to do the rescue effort. He was. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The, yes. The, the, uh, the AI, the synth attack or the synth rebellion, whatever, whatever uprising uh, definitely happened during his efforts to try and uh, rescue the Romulans. Yes. 
That's, mm-hmm. that's my understanding as well. And I was remarking to Rachel right before I go to you, Cicero, um, until the synth shot himself in the head, this kind of smelled like lore in a way, because we've seen him try to use at least partially artificial life forms. But then when the synth killed himself, I was just like, oh, well, Laura wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah, he's not Magneto. No. Or, 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 well, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a Magneto uprising, right? Right, yeah. I mean, honestly, though, I can't really remember where Laura is supposed to be because I think after that, the season seven premiere, he was just kind of shut away, or maybe he was like launched into space. I can't, I can't remember the specifics at the moment. But uh, in any event, Cicero, uh, Take us through your thoughts on the way that this one kicked off. Well, uh, a couple of things. First, uh, as I said in our in our previous episode, and and as Zachy alluded to uh, just just a second ago, um, one of the things that I love about sci-fi is um, its ability to build a world and and allow you the space to imagine yourself being a regular Joe within within that world, and. Uh, there were there were times in the in the premiere episode in remembrance where we 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 got a view of that where they did some world building and showing you what it was like to just be a regular Joe uh, living within the Federation, um, the you know as opposed to being a member of Starfleet, and we got some more of that here, uh, and 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 I absolutely adore that stuff because it gives you like it gives you a sense that in the writer's room, as they're creating the story, they're also creating a world and they're, you know, they're sitting back and saying, all right, well, what would, what would that be like? What would it be like if you were, uh, you know, a welder in, you know, in, on Mars building ships and doing whatever it is that you would do? What would it look like? What would it seem like? How would they speak? Um, what would their interactions with these synths be like? Um, and, and, you know, I mean, for, for the most part, uh, it seemed like they were, you know, benevolent overlords towards these, towards these synths. Um, and, and uh, so like it made the uprising when it happened and who, who it happened to that much more tragic. Um, because they didn't seem overly antagonistic towards the sense um, when when everything happened, you know they they definitely didn't view them. You know, like our our relationship with synthetic life forms is through the lens of everyone's interactions with data, almost exclusively, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know and and. Or with data and and with uh, Robert Picardo's portrayal of the EMH and Voyager and and you know and, and, uh, and other places, uh, he just showed up in, in DS Nine, so that was awesome. Um, but uh, but uh, like so, those relationships were of of those people having agency, and people treated them as if they had agency. Um, these these characters did not treat the synths as if they had agency, but did treat them well. You know, like I, I, I mean, I guess that's that's a word for it. 
but definitely treated them as if they were objects, but they were objects that they liked um, and could communicate with. Um, so, so yeah. So when the, the, uh, when the uprising happened, it, it made that, that moment tragic because these people were, you know, they weren't necessarily antagonistic towards them. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of sucked. Um, there is something I need to go back and watch uh, the first episode again. And, and more importantly, the, the uh, what's, I guess the cold open or not the cold open, but the actual intro to the show um, from the, from the first episode. And I think um, I paid attention to the intro in this episode more than I did in the first episode because everything was brand new. Um, there were a lot of clues. I don't know if you guys saw this, but in the intro, there were a lot of clues that were just kind of there in, in the intro uh, animation that had you been paying attention would have re- would reveal a lot of things about uh, not only that episode, but potentially the season going forward. So if you, if you think about the intro within the first 10, 15 seconds of that intro, you see the Borg cube. Right. Yeah. And, sure. um, and you, and you see the formation of, uh, nerves and and organs, almost digitized versions of those things, uh, being created as the music is playing and as the credits are rolling. As you know, they're talking about who who uh, who the stars of of the show are. The, I, I I'll be really interested in in seeing and knowing once we get through the entirety of the series how much of the series is given away in quotes during that opening sequence. Yeah. At least thematically. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Most definitely. No, that's a, that's a, it's a perceptive observation. Uh, I mean, even just, you know, that the very beginning of it, a piece floats down from the sky and then it looks like at the very end, that piece reconnects with him and uh, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes in the future, but let's move along with the plot. So, um, at the Romulan reclamation site, we learn a little bit more about the remains of the Borg cube that sits there, which is called the artifact, where Soji Asha, Daj's sister, is engaged in a bit of an affair with a Romulan superior there by the name of Narek. Soji works as a doctor, and the site involves the recovery of Borg drones where their implants, it seems like, are harvested from the corpses of drones and apparently sold, I think? to potentially support what we learn is called the Romulan free state, a form of government that the Romulans put in place sometime after the destruction of their planet. Um, One of the first thoughts that I had about this is, and I even turned to Rachel while we were watching and I was like, Hey, we got the first information, first new information about the Borg since 2001. We actually know more about what is pushing the thing. And I was, it was just like a surreal Star Trek fan moment where I was like, Hey, we're finally moving forward with the story, but it makes mention of the fact that the, the collective is still seen as a rather major threat to the residents of the alpha and beta quadrants. So it seems like the collective is still active. And my impression of the, uh, of Endgame of the final episode of Voyager was that Voyager potentially struck a crippling blow on the collective, but apparently that wasn't the case. So, um, 
Obviously, at this point, we don't know anything about the larger Romulan machinations taking place in Starfleet and with the Jatvash. But what's in your minds at this point, just seeing this artifact and what these Romulans appear to be doing to the Borg that remain there? Zaki. I'm I'm not sure. You know, I I, so I I have not watched Voyager. So at all. At all, right? So I, I'm up to like whatever the second season, I think. So all the Borg shenanigans on that show are yet to be discovered by me. So we should talk about that when you get there, because I'll be really interested in what you think about that. I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, so I'm gonna end up backing into that because my, you know, I mean, I've seen like snippets and everything, but like, yeah, sure. Really, my first extended exposure to Seven of Nine is going to be on this show. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, so you're gonna, it's going to be sort of like uh, Cicero's experience watching uh, uh, the episodes of Discovery that took place on Talos, and then following that up, watching the Menagerie. Yeah, where it's oh, like, sure, <laughs> uh, you know, just kind of backing into that stuff. But that's but just in terms of uh, of what the Romulans look like, they're doing with the Borg. I don't know. What's, what's just, what's in your head about the Borg right now at, at this point and the way that the show is employing their monolithic iconography. So, so obviously based on the information we have in this episode, we know the Romulans are up to something. Mm-hmm. And based on the information we have about the, you know, what's coming up, we know that Hugh Borg is out there. We know seven of nine is out there. So clearly there's something at play, right? And obviously they're, they're doing the just parceling stuff out. But I, I, I wonder, I mean, I, I wonder what the, what the goal is insofar as the Romulans are concerned, because it feels like a cheat to be like, Oh, Picard wanted to help the Romulans. You know, they're not so bad. And it's like, no, they're bad. They're, they're pretty bad. You know? (laughs) <laughs> you can take you can take the Romulans off of the planet, right? Can't take, can't take the Romulans. Now they're bitter, like yeah, yeah. They got a bee in their bonnet. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Well, uh, Cicero, you have uh, absorbed Voyager most recently compared with the rest of. It. I actually uh, watched the fourth season premiere relatively recently, but. Um, you know, I've seen the whole show, of course, but as someone who saw the conceivable end of the Borg story and now seeing this again, what's what's rattling in your brain? Well, uh, so, you know, I kind of during the episode, I kind of missed the fact that the Borg were around, but I didn't miss it completely um, based on some things that happened later in the episode. Um, so, you know, so I, I, I gained an understanding that the Borg are, are definitely still around, but I didn't, I wasn't necessarily sure if they were a, a major player in, in the galaxy or in the, in, in the universe, uh, anymore. It's, it's kind of like, uh, for those of us who, who have read, uh, what's now called the legends, um, universe in star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, those, those, or, or they, are they called legends or legacy books? Uh, legends, yeah, legends. Yeah. The stuff that's not in continuity. Yeah. Um. So, uh, they those books did a very, very good job of painting the empire as, um, 
you know, what, what the empire was post Jedi and uh, you know, and they were still a faction, um, but they weren't, they weren't the major faction and, you know, and they still had their own space. And that's kind of what I thought the Borg would be even at this day. Like I didn't, I never thought even at the end of Voyager that they were just, Oh, poof, they were gone. The queen is dead. Everything is, everything is fine. Um, that, you know, something, something definitely was going to happen because the Borg is based, they're basically bees. And if you kill, if you kill a queen, um, those bees don't necessarily die out. They can die out. Um, but if they find another queen or if another queen grows and is created, then they just become part of that colony. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure what we'll find going forward is that uh, something similar to that has happened um, with the board. Yeah. I, I think that that's a well-reasoned perspective. Rachel, you were flinching when they were harvesting the ocular implant out of that one recovered drone. It was rattling in your head just seeing, I guess, see, being exposed once again to at least the imagery of the Borg. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Borg eye implants are gross. But I mean, like, you all. Gross when Locutus got his. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, that, that part in First Contact comes to mind where they. You know, they put the mechanical yeah, arm yeah. on that one drone. And I mean, first contact. God, I love that movie. I know it's, I know it's a comparatively like sim- simplistic Star Trek movie, especially compared to some of the episodes, but holy hell is that a good movie, I think. But, uh, but just seeing the Borg again. Uh, the- I was really interested in some of the people working on the cube look like they have like scars from implants or something. Like they could have been former. Yeah. Drones. Like they used to be boards. I don't know. Hmm. I thought that, yeah. Like I thought that was very interesting. Um, you said that they were selling the implants. I, they kept mentioning research. I don't know. There was just a lot of mysteries and I, I was intrigued. Well, one of the characters that was talking to uh, to Soji was saying that uh, she was technic- she had technically earned citizenship with the Romulan Free State that was then revoked, but then reestablished. Right. Yeah. And Soji said, "Oh, that's you know that's just normal. That's yeah. Romulans." Yeah. And it's like again, you know, the society is still very much intact, and the secretive nature of that society. Right. But it's just like clearly they believe that the Borg has totally cast out this cube cut it cut it off from the collective and all the drones that were inside of it and uh yeah it was just kind of unsettling seeing them again yeah, can, can i can i say uh can i say that i never trusted uh what's his name naris what narek narek yeah. yeah uh so i never trusted narek I think I think you're on the money with he that. He kind of had right. that vibe, <laughs> right? Like it, it just just you know right off the bat, um, I wasn't sure if I could trust Soji. Um, you know that like I wasn't sure if like we were going to be as I mentioned last episode we were going to be on this quest for Curly's gold to try and find Soji and only you know and only only to find out that uh, you know that the gold didn't exist. Uh, spoilers. For City Slickers too, um, but um, but uh, but then when I realized, like, oh, okay, she's kind of playing it straight. 
I was like, oh, this Narek guy, he's just too suave. He's just too, you know, the British accent, like, you know, like all of the stuff was, was just too much for me. Um, and also, why does he have a British accent? Why does everybody have a British accent? What is going on? Like, these are aliens that are learning English via or speaking English via universal translator. Why this, this British affectation? Depends um, on the brand of Universal Translator. Right, right. They got the Marmite version. Or the version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Marmite. Yes, this is the Marmite translator. Um, yeah, yeah. That that's as opposed to the spam translator. Uh, the Australian, the Australians have the Vegemite one, right? So um, Vegemite. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So yeah. So I, I just I was not. Uh, you know, I was waiting for for him to to turn on soji's you know the whole time i'm like girl don't tr- don't you trust him um and and uh yeah it turns out i was right <laughs> oh very true oh well let's move along to the next part of the plot so following dodge's apparent death as we saw in the last episode picard seeks to track her twin soji down with the help of one of his romulan friends laris he travels to boston and investigates dodge's apartment finding the place suspiciously clean and completely scrubbed. This is accompanied by the revelation that the assassins may have been part of the Jat Vash, an organization even more secretive than the Tal Shiar that holds a deep-rooted hatred of synthetics. This is where my, I guess, critique comes into play for the plot that this this season is playing with, because... I. I've never really been into the idea of, uh, well, here's the threat that you know, but behind it the whole time has been a bigger, even more dangerous threat. And uh uh-oh, it's it's trouble. It's the deeper state. Right, yeah. I mean- um, Right, the deeper state. (laughs) And that's not to say that the story is still not going to be good. Of course, it can still be good, but I mean- I, I bristle at stuff like that just as a as almost like a reflex action. It reminds me, and I, again, I'm going to stuff that Zachy hasn't seen yet, but uh-huh. the first major time that we see the Borg in Voyager, there's like five cubes running through the Delta Quadrant, and then all of a sudden this orange lightning blows them all up instantly. And that's the introduction that we get eventually to Species 8472. And it's like we're... Sub- it's like, here, here's something that I know Zachy will totally get. In early episodes of the Justice League animated series, all the villains took down Superman, like, instantly. Because they tried to communicate quickly, this is how big of a threat this is, look how fast they took down Superman. And they did it so frequently that it just made Superman look uncharacteristically <laughs> weak. Yeah. Um. So... That's not to say that the Jat Vash isn't going to be an interesting element in this story, but I just kind of tend to bristle at the fact that this is, so far, that's that's a, a retcon that doesn't totally sell me. But uh, what, what yes, I'll say, please, go ahead. What I'll say, Chris, is at least they introduced this, this deeper state in the second episode. As opposed and, to like the ninth one, yeah, right, right, right. Where a, a lot of shows will do that. I think um, a, a show that I can think of right off the top of my head that really suffered for that 
was the first season of uh, Luke Cage. Where okay. You, where you had a, you know, spoilers for Luke Cage a little. Um, you had a big bad at the beginning of the season, um, beautifully played by Mahershala Ali. And uh, at maybe, you know, three quarters of the way through the season, he is dispatched. And then there is another big bad who's not even nearly as uh, menacing or, or dangerous to the viewer as Mahershala Ali's character was. Um, and it really kind of brought down the season, the series overall, I, I, I think, or at least that season overall. If you talk to anyone who's, who's watched the entire first season of, of or entire series of Luke Cage, I think they would agree with me that uh, the first half of that first season was, was phenomenal. Um, and then, and then it kind of fell off and, you know, overall it was really good, but man, you know, why did they have to do what they did? Uh, because it would have been great to see what was happening there. Um, and you know, it was, it's the, it's the, uh, Lex Luthor can't, can't win in a fight against Superman. So we must bring in someone who can fight Superman in order for us to feel, uh, feel like Superman is going to have a worthwhile fight, and that's not necessary. Lex Luthor is a, is a perfect nemesis to uh, you know, perfect foil to Superman all on his own. Yeah, you're certainly not going to find someone who disagrees with that in me. Uh, very true. Zaki the Jatvash, what's your take on on how this is shaping up here in the early going? I mean. That's, I mean, that's, it's so hard to, it's, it's so hard to form any kind of an opinion right now. You know, it's kind of like, okay, so it's, they're, you know, they're the, uh, they're the, the, the badasses, badasses, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a, like a parallel, but I mean, I think, I think what you said about, about, ah, just get, kick the shit out of Superman. That'll, that'll, yeah. Right. You know, it, it is that. And it's, I, I I will say, I mean, during the course of next gen, I got sort of Romulined out uh, by by the end of it because I just felt like it, it was kind of they were they were playing the same song with that uh, race again and again. So I would have liked to see something different, you know. And I thought and and think, I mean, with, with these uh, the characters who are who are assisting Picard, like oh, we're doing something a little different now with the Romulans. So the idea that now nope, let's just go right back into it. It's like, all right, well, I mean, what else can you say? But let's see where this is going. We got eight more episodes, you know? Yeah, sure. Definitely. And that's a fair, that's a fair perspective to have. Rachel, the Jat Vosh. Yeah. I don't know if I like really loved their, um, their motivations is that they hate synthetic life because it, my impression <laughs> was that like synthetic, like, Data is the only one that worked for a really long time. So I'm like, where did like, what did Data do to you? Like, where, <laughs> where? He, I, I guess I don't really get where that's like coming well, he from. He really pissed Sela <laughs> off several times. Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just how much synthetic life could there be that they like have this whole like ancient or ancient and powerful society that just hates i need i need a little bit more sure just yeah. give me a little and gr- a little bit more of a motivation and granted we are in the early going 
these are knee-jerk reactions. I think that that's a, it's okay to have knee-jerk reactions as long as we qualify that that's what they are and we reserve the right to change our minds. But uh, yeah, I, I hold none of my opinions very closely. They yeah, change right. every day. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So again, you know, we'll see what happens. But just as far as a first impression goes, uh, it it just kind of reeks of it's another uh, another electric shock to Superman in, in an early Justice League episode. That's that's what I thought of. Uh, so let's move along with the plot. So at the Romulan reclamation site, a relationship between Soji and Narek is quickly flourishing. But then we go back to Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco and um, Admiral Picard shows up. We're greeted to the beautiful fanfare. The, our hearts swell with uh, patriotism for the Federation. We're greeted to all of this familiar imagery a hero is back in 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 the house that he helped build for the 24th century and he goes to Admiral Kirsten Clancy who is the commander in chief of Starfleet and appeals to her to be reinstated and to have a ship so that he can adequately investigate the origins of Daj and Soji in relation to data and the is i think second the second F-bomb of modern Star Trek gets <laughs> dropped by Admiral Clancy, who, after she hears, to her credit, after she hears Admiral Picard out, she says, sheer fucking hubris, and dresses him down for having the audacity to make such a request, especially after the interview that he gave to the Federation News Network. So she re- denies his request. And fuming from the meeting, Picard leaves and starts to assemble his own crew, inviting Agnes Gerati and the estranged Rafi Musiker to join him on his adventure. And we, we only see Rafi for just a few moments. She's actually a supporting character in the Star Trek Picard Countdown comic book series, the third issue of which just came out this week. Um, but this is a pretty loaded segment. Zachy, I would love for you to lead us off about your reactions to this meeting that Picard has with the CNC. Oh man, it's it's so good to see Patrick Stewart just like doing his thing, right? Like it the the corollary I make is it the when you juxtapose Picard on the bridge of the Enterprise, right? And every every sentence that issues from his lips is you know, wisdom from on high, right? And you take you take all that away. You take his entire context away from him, and who's left, right? And to me, this scene is, if not literally in practical terms, what coerced Patrick Stewart to come back and do this show is the opportunity to 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 play this. It's a very different. Picard, he's no less driven, right? Give me, I just need a, a rank reduction. Just give me a ship. And the Admiral's like, F off. <laughs> you yeah. know? That's Literally. great. That is so good. That's such that's such a great piece to start off at because that's that's where our journey is, you know? I it's like uh you know, the the corollary I've made in on my other show is with Luke in, in the sequel trilogy, right? Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like the same way you had not my Luke for that. It's like not my Jean-Luc for this, some people. <laughs> right? But but to me, that's what's interesting. Let's take this great legendary hero. Let's pick up with him after the biggest personal failing he's ever experienced, trying to pick up the pieces, and let's see what he does next. To me, that's the reason you even bother to tell a story like this. Well, and you mentioned the juxtaposition. I mean, it, it, was, it was even audible because you go from those familiar musical tones of, of you know, the, the theme that's defined the franchise since 1979. Mm-hmm. And then the music also takes a dark turn as soon as Admiral Clancy takes one. Yeah. And I thought that that was kind of an interestingly reflexive way to illustrate just how heartbreaking that moment likely is. But he doesn't react to it with uh, weak willedness. He reacts to it with an additional kind of strength that we all kn- probably knew was there, but it well, seemed and, like it surprised and, him. And I don't, I, I think, you know, the, the, this is said later, but where they refer to him as the hermit of Labar. Right. 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 And, and how, like, what a, what a pitiful reductive way to talk about one of the greatest citizens in Federation history. Do what you're best at. Go home. Isn't that something? And uh, this is not your house anymore. That's what really, like, I agree with you. The scene was brilliant, but I did be like, how dare you? Right. You know, which was the exact reaction that they wanted from me. So, you know, kudos all around. But yes, absolutely. Very, very much agreed. Rachel, the, the meeting. Yeah, I think they had to take it over the top and make her like say all those insulting things to him because like otherwise it kind of like her re- I mean her response made sense like if he just comes out of retirement and like he has this neurological disease and whatever and he's like can I have a ship like of course like why why would they like no <laughs> um but uh they did. I thought they did a really nice job of just making her like so, like say all these like reprehensible things that made you like like I no like you can't say that to Jean Luc Picard so that mm-hmm. we're like totally on his side. Yeah. Um. I thought that was very clever. Um. And I I always like an evil admiral. <laughs> um. Although she's not evil, she's just yeah. Well, no, but she. Her outlook is descended to me. I think from like the Necheyev wing yeah. of the admiralty. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, she vibes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, honestly, I'm surprised that it wasn't Necheyev that was serving. I hated Necheyev so much. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you think of Necheyev in this scene at all? You know Is what's that- funny? I didn't think of her, but I, I, there was that that sense, right? And then you said it, and it's just all the all the rage and anger just came issuing. <laughs> you, you just uncorked something. She was good at that. She was yeah. she was very good at that. Cicero, what was your reaction to the way that this meeting went down? Well, I mean, yes, it was heavy-handed, but it was very, very effective. Um, You you know, like you're on the journey with Picard as he is reminiscing. uh, He's walking into into the lobby, into the vestibule of, of, of the Starfleet headquarters, and you look up and you see the, uh, and you know, the, NC 1701, uh, and then you see, you know, you see the the original Enterprise, and then you see uh, his Enterprise, and then he walks to the guest desk, and he, you know, he announces his arrival, and it and it does the thing. It shows that in the 24th century, that 
even even as uh, advanced as the species we have become, we are still human. We are still um, vulnerable to human flaws. And one of those flaws is not fully appreciating, especially Western, Western humans. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're still very vulnerable to the flaw of, of not appreciating our history and those and, and uh, giving, giving the, the right level of reverence to our heroes. Uh, to the ones that have come before us, where he goes and he talks to the prim and proper, uh, you know, receptionist. Says he arrives and then has to give his name, and then once he gives his name, the guy's like, "Oh, welcome back, Admiral." And is you know, at at no point, you know, here is John Luke Picard is standing in front of you. You're having, you've got an opportunity as you know, ensign or what, whatever you are. Uh, you know, whatever rank you are, you you will never be as great as John Luke Picard, and he is standing in front of you. And instead of giving him the, giving him the gravitas of which he has earned, he's just like, ah, yeah, you know, all right, Admiral, yeah, you can go ahead and go wherever it is you need to go, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. some old just came by, <laughs> you know, Picard guy. You, you, know, you, yeah. you know, you know what's funny is. I'm I'm reminded of Relics, the episode Relics. Oh yeah, and and there's Picard talking to Geordi, right about working with Scotty, and he says one of the most important things in a person's life is to feel useful, and I want I want Mister Scott to feel useful again. Yeah, and you know now it's just you know the the passage of time is immutable, and now here here he is in that exact state of life. And, yeah. and, and, and they've really, really leaned in on that. Uh, they, you know, <laughs> to, to the nth degree. Um, <laughs> Waiting and, to die, right? Right, right. And, and, you know, and, and again, I, I think that's, that's apropos that you say that. It's fitting that you say that, Zachy, because, because that was kind of the theme or at least a part of the theme from the first episode. And, and, you know, and here we are, we have uh, the rest of Starfleet looking at him and saying that's that's your role right now is to wait to die and and what we're what we're seeing from Picard from the second half of the first episode on is his realization that that's exactly what he was he was doing exactly what everyone wanted him to do everyone expected him to do and now he is he is saying no i'm not going to wait to die I'm going to continue to live and he's got to f- continue to fight to prove to people that he's earned the right to continue to live. And you know, and I, I, I it, it is kind of an allegory for, for people in general that like they should have the opportunity to continue to live as opposed to wait to die. Like they, there is, there is usefulness in me. There, you know, I'm not just some old kook. I'm not just some hermit. I am someone with value. I am someone with with knowledge that I that I'd like to impart on people. And you, all you need to do is give me the opportunity to do so, and 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 you'll you'd be amazed at what can what can transpire as a result. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
there's a, I think there's just a lot of emotions that, that come up, especially when it comes to this beloved character. But something that I think Star Trek has always excelled at is addressing elegantly the aging of its characters. You know, we saw it as early as Star Trek II. Uh, Captain Kirk's age, or Admiral Kirk's age, I should say, was kind of a key element of the plot of that story. And it was dealt with in a way that was respectful and in a way kind of graceful uh, and giving full service to the meaning of, of that character and the, 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 meaning, the new meaning that he would try to find in his life. And now, even though Picard has always been an older guy compared to other captains that we've seen, we're seeing that play out for him too. And it's, it's a different flavor. It's a little more of an antagonistic flavor. There's not a lot of reverence to be left for Jean-Luc Picard compared to, you know, what we saw from Admiral and Captain Kirk, but um, it's no less meaningful and it's potentially even more powerful. So I'm, uh, I'm very much into what we're seeing here. Uh, So let's move along then. Uh, Meanwhile, Admiral Clancy informs Commodore O, and to my knowledge, this is the first time that we've seen a Commodore in the 24th century, in the history of the franchise. But Commodore O, who seems like she is a Vulcan, is informed by Clancy of Picard's request in good faith, and and, and Clancy asks O to look into it. O notifies uh, Lieutenant Rizzo uh, to have her undercover operative stay on mission and we are left to deduce that not only is O not a Vulcan but this other lieutenant who seems to be human is also actually a Romulan at the reclamation site Lieutenant Rizzo appears to Narek by hollow communicator and reveals him to be her operative as well as her brother so the uh whether it's the Jat Vash or whether it's the Tal Shiar, I'm not totally sure yet at this point. But uh, the Romulans and the secrecy of the Romulans are very much active in this show. But then we also get to see a very uh, a poignant visit that Picard gets from uh, an older doctor whose name is escaping me, but we're led to believe that he was the CMO aboard the Stargazer, Picard's first command. Yeah, it's... Uh, it is- Doctor, I will tell you in a second. It is Doctor Bayerama. Uh, hold on, let's. Doctor Moritz Ben Benayun. Doctor Moritz Benayun. Thank you. Well, so Doctor Benayun uh, informs Picard that he is potentially suffering from a kind of syndrome. Uh, apparently its effects are neurologically degradating in nature. And uh, that certainly brings back memories of the TNG finale where we got to see Picard at this stage of his life suffering from uh, a disease that was called Eremotic Syndrome at the time. Eremotic Syndrome was not uttered by the doctor, but we are certainly led to believe that that possibility has, uh, let's say that that prophecy rather is, is full circle. Um, Zachy, the, the Romulan shenanigans, of course, uh, your thoughts on those, but also, uh, this diagnosis for the Admiral. Well, I I mean, I think I already alluded to where I'm at with the Romulans. I'm, I'm intrigued, but I, I, I hope that there's something more at play here than just Romulans bad. 
Right, sure. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So I feel like, well, maybe the fact that they're dropping this early means that there's something else going on. I'll be I'll be fine if that's all there is, but I would hope, like, hey, let's do something a little different. Um, <clears throat> as far as the uh, Picard's illness, you know, I think I think as a, as a story mechanism, obviously that's that adds an extra layer of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, to some extent, this this is a series that we we really don't know if the end game is for this to truly be Captain Picard's final adventure. Mm-hmm. And so this may well be the mechanism to, to you know, it, it's sort of seeding the ground for that. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, of uh, generations, right? Watching that film in the theater, even when it came out, I was stuck, uh, struck by the fact that even as I was watching it, even as I was experiencing it, Kirk felt uh, vulnerable in a way that, he never would have if he was the star of the piece. Mm-hmm, sure. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like, well, we know Captain Picard ain't going anywhere, and suddenly Captain Captain Kirk's got a target on his back. Now, obviously, this is still the Captain Picard show, but it's a show that's, I would assume, been engineered with a finite lifespan. And I'm wondering if that lifespan is literally a lifespan. You know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Rachel. Uh... Eromotic syndrome potentially rearing its head. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a cool sequence. I like that that guy was from Stargazer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you seemed you when you read the Picard autobiography, you seemed very engaged in the segments that were aboard the Stargazer. Yeah, it just that part of the story seemed really cool, and like um, Picard kind of learning how he came to become the leader that he is mm-hmm. is just really fun and interesting sure and then like the stargazer was like this like kind of old vessel that was like out on the fringes by itself mm-hmm. and like just kind of get into trouble and like starfleet didn't really care about it that much because like it was old so like yeah i i like the way that was written and um it just sounded it was, yeah sounds fun mm-hmm. um it's something I would like to know more about. It was like, hey, Stargazer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but in terms of... The, the Romulan plot um, is, was a little confusing to me. I wasn't sure who was a Vulcan and who was a Romulan. <laughs> and I'm still not sure. So is O Romulan? She's Romulan. She has to, but be. she's pretending to be Vulcan. It, that's my impression. So yes. is everybody with pointy ears of Romulan? In show well, see, so that's far? that's like, that actually brings up uh, an interesting point because by TNG there was a very visible dividing line between the way that Romulans and Vulcans looked, and well, on it seemed to be mostly costume based. No, it was it was actual prosthetic based because Romulans had like the eyebrows, a kind of. Yeah, their eyebrows oh, and their ridges yeah, in their heads, yeah. too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And we actually see both Romulans on Picard, the two Romulans that live in Labar with him. One has a very light kind of ridges in his head, and the other one does not. Right, yeah. And recent years, uh, I mean, the most prominent Romulan of the last decade was Nero, and Nero didn't have those ridges in his head either. Fair. So it seems like 
kind of like what Enterprise did in explaining why certain Klingons have ridges and certain Klingons don't. Uh, both are still Romulan, but some look more like Vulcans and some are more clearly identifiably Romulan. All right. Uh, sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> it just is a little bit confusing as a viewer, um, but maybe I'm you know, like, I'm supposed to be not really know who's who. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, Eric, not surprised that he's evil. Clearly Rizzo went through some kind of um, cosmetic surgery because Narek yeah. even mentioned to Rizzo that sanded, she looked odd yeah. with rounded ears. Sounded, sanded down her ears. Right. Yeah. yeah. So who's to say what, what happened with, O? but um, what about just in terms of, of Picard's diagnosis? Um, I think it's really cool that they incorporated stuff from all good things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, that that was my main takeaway. I was like, oh, like all good things. Um, I, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But it's uh, it's also interesting to have that element with him, um, just of, you know, maybe you're on a ticking clock. You better, sure. You know, you better you know get what you're gonna get done done, and um, you know, just sort of adds a a, a layer of of drama. That's a good point because, as Zaki said, it adds vulnerability, but as you say, it also adds a sense of urgency. Right? Yeah, sense of urgency. That's a yeah. good way of of mm-hmm. phrasing what I was saying <laughs> more eloquently, Chris. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Writer over here, <laughs> Cicero. Uh, not only the Romulan plot, but this uh, this diagnosis for the Admiral. So I'm going to start with the Romulan plot first. And, uh, you know, I just want to give a shout out to Peyton List, uh, the actor who plays uh, Narissa Rezzo. Uh, I'm a big fan of her. She was on a show that was on the CW that I can't think of the name of right now, where they kind of like people had powers and stuff like that. It only lasted a season, but it was pretty good. Um, Somebody out there knows what I'm talking about. And, and, uh, and and they also uh, feel feel similarly. What I didn't like was her terrible British accent. You know, it was just was it the like, Tomorrow People. Yeah, yes, yes, the Tomorrow People. That was the name of the of the, of the show. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, uh, again, the this this uh, British accent affectation. I, w- I wasn't sure about it. Commander O. I'm like, uh, you know, much like Rachel. Is she a Vulcan? Is she a Romulan? Are there Romulans in 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 the in Starfleet? Like, is that allowed? Uh, you know, like, and you know, and then she winds up talking to the admiral, and and like, it's just it was it was all very very weird. Um, but again, here we are in the second episode. We're doing a lot of exposition. Um, so you know, I'm just kind of along for the ride, and and I'll see if the seeds that they planted actually make some sense. Uh, later on and you know i'll withhold judgment on it right now because right now it does not make sense um but you know maybe maybe that dough will will bloom into a beautiful cake that is delicious uh so um you know or maybe bake into a beautiful cake cakes don't bloom cicero it's <laughs> <laughs> um, a form of blooming arguably <laughs> It's the souffle. The souffle. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, it's French. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that that part was weird. The the 
interaction between Narek and Narissa was uh, gave me very um uh Game of Thronesy uh huh. you know Lannister vibe. Oh, no. oh. You know? I thought that too. Yeah, yeah me too. Incestuous scene. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um and uh, you know, so you guys are sick. That didn't even cross my mind at all. <laughs> yeah. I um, thought, so I thought it, the actors were doing a bad job. Like I was like, why are they playing this like sexual tension? Like, yeah, yeah, making yeah. me uncomfortable. It, it, well, it, it didn't make me uncomfortable until one of them called the other one a sibling, and then I was like, oh, you know, and I, <laughs> I, I you know, and I hope, I hope that was just like. You know, there's a level of familiarity between the two of them, and and that's where the intimacy was, and that we don't wind up going down that road. At, you know, like uh, it's been done, um, and it was done effectively. TV doesn't need to do it anymore, right? <laughs> <Look at them. laughs> um, so, so yeah, so that's where I am with the Romulan plot. I, I think we're, you know, we're still very early. I understand your, uh, your, your cringeworthy moments about it, Chris. Um, but, you know, I'm going to give them the, the space to kind of uh, make believers out of yourself and myself. Uh, because, you know, while I'm dubious, I, you know, like I just don't know yet. Right. Um, sure. The as far as the um, Picard. Uh, so first off, uh, another another I want to uh, send a shout out to David Pamer. Uh He's a great character actor. He's one of the one of the most fantastic that guys that's that's around <laughs> on sci-fi television. Um and uh so I was I was very, very happy to see him there. Uh you know, would love to see uh you know, like a, a, a mini series of some adventures of of Picard and uh uh Dr. Benayoon on on the Stargazer. Uh that would be really cool to see. Um and and Pamer's so great at being able to do these guest spots where he comes in and the chemistry, like that's how you know he's a great actor because the chemistry and uh, of course Sir Patrick Stewart, of course, is a, a fantastic act, actor. Um, that that their their chemistry made me immediately believe that these guys are long lost friends that they you know they they've been they've been friends for years and they you know they're just reconnecting. And and he was there to give him some unfortunate news. Um, here's where I differ from you guys or branch off from you guys. I don't think that what uh, Dr. Benayoun was talking about was the Eremotic Syndrome, even though that's where everybody goes. I think what he was alluding to was the fact that Picard is about to become a Borg. That is where that that there is still remnants of Locutus inside of him. And as I talked about before, um, the Borg is looking for a queen. Maybe that queen is a king, and that king is Picard. Yikes. Um, that um, is a hell of a theory, Cicero. Cicero. Shots fired. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so immediately, um, because at first I was thinking, oh, as he's talking to him, it's like, oh, oh, damn it. You know, Zachy was saying that, you know, they're not going to Han Solo uh, Picard. 
but they're they're talking about Han Solo and Picard. But then, as the doctor continued and he was saying that hopefully you die before it happens, I was like, oh, holy crap! After oh. we saw all those Borgs, damn it, maybe he's on the on the cusp of becoming a Borg. And the fact that we're going to see two former Borgs in this show lends more credence to the fact that, or at least in my head, that I'm I'm onto something than not. Um, that you know that what better way to uh, bring in a character that had nothing to do with the Enterprise, like Seven of Nine. Um, and make her an intricate part of this story um, where, where, you know, she is definitely running around and, and helping John Luke Picard on this mission than him confiding in her about the thing that he may become. And who better to talk to about that than someone else who has also been aboard? That is a shared attribute that they have. That is true. So yeah, so that is that is where uh, it left me. Hmm. Very interesting. It's well, it's it's about it's at about this time in the first season of Discovery, I might add, and and Discovery Debrief that we talked about. Uh, um, uh, what's his name? Switching. Javid uh, yeah, Jav- Javid Iqbal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe. So maybe. Maybe we do it again. <laughs> Maybe. Well, we're, we'll we'll definitely revisit that in the weeks ahead. Um, the thought that I had, um, and Rachel brought up, this could be something from All Good Things that is that is taking place, and there might be something else from All Good Things that is taking place in a little bit more of a stealthy way. Why is Moritz Benyun Picard's doctor? Because it seems to me, and maybe this is just fanboy griping, seems like he should have another doctor. He should. Doesn't it? Yeah, unless it's his ex-wife. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would, I, I, and um, so this episode, we haven't mentioned it, but we did get direct mentions for Jordy LaForge, for Worf, and for Will Riker. Riker, we know, is going to be appearing in a future episode. I'm glad that Worf and Jordy are okay. Uh just personally speaking, but um, Crusher arguably, ha- at least besides Data, has the closest connection to Picard of all of the other uh, members of the Enterprise D and E crew. I, I'm I'm hoping that we get some information related to her, uh, whether she's captain of the Pastor or whether she's uh, living her best life in some other totally different part of <laughs> of uh, of the quadrant. I would like to know, but. I don't know. Is that, am I looking at things through fanboy glasses too much? It just seems to me that she would be his doctor still. I don't know. I think she's dead. That's my. Really? I, I feel like uh, David Pamer would have mentioned her. Yeah. You, I mean, you, you, you can't mention the rest of the crew. Yeah. And not mention. So what I will say is, Maybe she's dead. That would be kind of terrible because, you know, the actor isn't dead. So it'd be right. great to see her on the show in, in some capacity at some point. Um, but the the fact that you that he went through the trouble of naming other people to go on this trip with him. 
and they were other members of his crew. Um, uh, and they didn't, they didn't mention Dr. Dr. Crusher, uh, is kind of weird. It, there is 0% possibility, Chris, that we won't get a mention of Dr. Right. Crusher at some point during the course of the season. Um, so, so it's not just your fanboy heart. It would be incredibly irresponsible of them not to do so. Um, the thing that I wonder about is where is Wesley? Yeah. Um, you know, it would, it would be incredible to get to, to get Will Wheaton back on, you know, back in the uniform, back on Star Trek, on Picard, and to find out where Wesley is now in, in uh, 2399. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, we're led to believe that he was back in Starfleet and Nemesis, even though we saw him for all of five seconds. Uh, but he was wearing a uniform. So, And I know that there was an, an EU story where it's like, oh, no, I, I showed up at the wedding naked and I got transfigured into a uniform or some something weird. <laughs> but uh, in my head, he's in Starfleet. It looks like he's in Starfleet. Did they just let him wear a uniform because he was a- I mean, you're not allowed to wear a uniform. They even you remember when Nog got accepted into the academy, and uh, you know Rom bought him a uniform from that Garrick made, and he's like, you're not supposed to be wearing that yet. And he's like, please, sir, it's from my it's from my father, and it's like that's not something that they just like willy nilly throw around. I'll allow it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that was what Cisco said. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, well, it's a lot of things to digest. I mean. I was I remarked after we watched it and we'll get to final thoughts here. My final thought is that this show is moving very slowly. And that's not a criticism, it's just an observation. Uh we're we're only in episode 2 and it doesn't look like it it looks it feels like things have taken a step in the next direction of where the the larger season plot is going to go. And to Rachel's point from last week, that makes this show feel far more contemplative than something like Discovery. Uh, I wouldn't mind to see it pick up a little bit in, in some subsequent episodes, but um, whether or not we actually end up in space at the end of the, the, the third episode, I can't say, but um, they are taking their time. And my immediate thought is that I'm glad it's already been picked up for season two because uh, it's, it, maybe it is going to be kind of slow in, uh, in the totality of everything. But what are your guys' final thoughts? On episode two of Star Trek Picard season one, Cicero. Uh, well, I'll say a, a couple of things. I feel the same about uh, the pace uh, that you do. Uh, it's not a bad thing. Uh, I, I, I do. If we're not in a ship or on our way to a ship, on our way to leave uh, the planet by the end of episode three, I will start ha- to have a problem. Um, but, but I. You know, but as for now, like we're setting up the story, we're setting up everything, uh, you know, and as I said last week, this this series based on, you know, because of the subject matter um, and because of the characters and because of our history with those characters, uh, it is given the kind of space to do uh, to to do that, to have that slower pace and, and, and kind of build up. Um, but I expect that once it builds that we're really going to hit the road and, and you know, we're really going to start. Uh, moving at at a at a warp pace. I'm sorry for all the puns, um, but, but um, 
so what I'll say about about this episode is is twofold. I did not like it as much as I liked the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, not to say that I didn't like it, um, but but there were I felt like this episode was a little more heavy handed with the exposition. Um, well, while the exposition was definitely necessary, um, I feel like it was a little bit more elementary, maybe. Or um, maybe it was intentionally confusing. I'm not sure what it was about this episode, but it, it just felt like, all right, you, you know, like you're 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 telling me stuff so that you can set me up for something that's you know something greater that's that's coming down the road, and you know, so I'm just kind of waiting for for that stuff to come down the road. And I just want to make two two more points uh, of, about this episode. Um. I was not a fan of the cursing in the, in the episode. Um, yeah, I'll co-sign that. Yeah, it, it just I um, I didn't. So when we when we got it in Discovery, um, it felt right. It 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 felt good because it was it was just it was the spice to put on something that was exuberant. Um, and, and it made sense at that particular moment. It was shocking. Sure. But it like, it, it made like narratively, it made sense that in the, in the 23rd century that we'd be beyond, you know, scatology, but we use it not as a word of curse, but as an emphasis on something that we're excited about. So it wasn't necessarily a curse word. It was just a, 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 a another word that we use as an adjective to explain something that that was going on. Um, and just for clarity, you're you're talking specifically about Tilly, you're just Tilly kind of Parker. blurting it out right, when she was right. excited about something. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, whereas this was used in in the same way that we would use those words in the 20th and 21st century, and and that just didn't seem Right. Like, you know, like we, we as a society, you know, like all, all of Starfleet, all of the Federation has advanced to a point where, they, you know, there's no poverty. There's no uh, global war. Um, you know, we're, we're, you know, so much more of an advanced society was so much more eloquent, so much more articulate. Uh, the fact that that. There are curse words and not only curse words, but our curse words still being used in the same way that we use our curse words to punch down um, just didn't seem right. It didn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second, the second thing that I'll say is that if, if we were playing a drinking game during this episode and every time the word secret came up, you had to take a drink, <laughs> I'd still be drunk right now. Um, <laughs> it was, it was like, it was like that was, you know, it was the only word that they could come up with. Um, and that was that was another thing that really kind of pulled me out of the episode and made me roll my eyes. Um, and, you know, and that those things kind of brought down the episode for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. OK, it's a very fair perspective and, and an interesting one. I can I can understand your your perspective on the language. Um you know, we've grown out of our infancy, Picard said at one point, but, you know, I mean, maybe that was the point. Maybe there was, it was supposed to incite a kind of 
uncomfortable outrage, but that doesn't make your point any less valid. I, I, I can definitely see that perspective. Rachel, final thoughts on episode two. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of things in this kind of felt like a, a connector episode. Like it was connecting the inciting event to whatever else is going to happen. Um, just with exposition and, and, and such. So, yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with Cicero that I didn't quite like it as much as the premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, except, I would have to say, except for the initial sequence, the sort of. Oh, yeah. Sequence, sure. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, like I, I really enjoyed and, um, you know, was freaked out by. And, and um, but yeah, I mean, still, there was still a lot of stuff, uh, still a lot of stuff to like and i'm still intrigued and and interested so um you know it's not like they totally lost me but yeah looking forward to maybe a little bit more action um i do i like the slow pace personally like i like that they're not rushing themselves but yeah like i some yeah maybe a little more could happen (laughs) (laughs) fair enough Zachy, final thoughts on episode two. So far, so good. Make it so. <laughs> All right. Very good. Yeah. And um, as, just as far as I'm concerned, uh, I agree with a lot of what you guys have said. Um, and I'm still intrigued. I've been, as you guys might have noticed, I've been kind of hungry for more Romulan stories. Uh, but this one is, it, it's a little weird. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely say that. and but. Like, like I said, still intrigued. So we'll see how it goes. Um, before we actually do close out, um, I've said for a long time that if you do take the time to submit a review for Discovery Debrief, uh, particularly on iTunes, because I think those are the most visible, that I would read them. And uh, we actually have quite a not, a, not a huge backlog, just a few uh, five-star reviews, uh, and I want to share them. So, uh, from our friend, Aaron Henley back on October 3rd, 2017. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're doing this. <laughs> I've only, I've only got four. I've only got four. So it's not like we're, we're super famous or anything, but these people did take the time. Uh, but he gave a, he gave a five-star review and this is in the early days of discovery, of course. And he said, I underestimated just how much I would enjoy Star Trek discovery And I'm glad to have found a podcast that is both critical where it needs to be, but also shows that these hosts are passionate about the show. You definitely have read that episode. Have I? I feel like it sounds familiar. Okay. I just, I I just assume that I haven't got, Uh, you know what? Give them, give them some more props. Go ahead. I agree. You know, you know, this reminds me of this. There's an early episode of the Simpsons where Marge wrote a fan letter to Ringo Starr when she was a little kid. Yes. and Ringo's like today he's like uh, all these people wrote to me I'm gonna get back to me fans and he finally right. writes back that's what this right. is. <laughs> well and then uh well actually you know what now that I I get to the second one I do remember this one from hey no, Berto. Man, you, you gotta you gotta finish you gotta all right, finish. All right, all right, all right. hey Berto another friend of ours uh gave a five-star review on February 26 2018. And he said, this group does a fantastic job breaking down the aired episodes, but don't neglect to do some specialized shows when the show isn't airing. They strike the <laughs> perfect balance of reviewing each episode from the perspective of Trek fans while not allowing their fandom from becoming baggage that can drag the show down. 
It's the perfect blend of a straightforward review through the lens of franchise familiarity and adoration by fans. They keep it real, y'all. So many other podcasts I've listened to can't let go of their ideas of what Trek should be to just analyze what this show is. Not with this crew. It's why it's my favorite disco podcast. Keep up the great work. Hey, Birdo. <laughs> much, much obliged. And uh, so the next one is far more recent from October 30th, 2019 from a user uh, named Dr. Sersha. Uh, Five star review. Much obliged. Dr. Sersha, full disclosure, is a friend of Rachel and ours. Rachel and mine. A uh, very good friend. And uh, she, she wrote thusly. If you enjoy Star Trek and want to know more about or engage with its extensive history, this podcast is for you. Listening to these expert panelists with such broad perspectives, oh, thank you, Sergio, makes you feel like you're participating in enjoyable and insightful expert discussions about narrative predictions, character relationships, and discoveries place in the Star Trek universe writ large. One of the things I learned from Debrief is that Star Trek Discovery caters to hardcore Trek fans, yet remains accessible to newcomers. Discovery Debrief is equally inclusive. Although I grew up watching Star Trek, I hadn't revisited it much as an adult and had forgotten much of the rich lore of the Star Trek universe. Through Discovery Debrief, however, Chris, Rachel, Zaki, and Cicero's expertise helped guide me through the finer points and Easter eggs that I otherwise would have missed. Listening to this podcast has brought so much insightful perspective and fascinating food for thought for my viewings of Discovery and hey, if it's good enough for Captain Lorca, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Dr. Sersha. Much appreciated. And uh, the last one, it actually is a review from uh, Apple Podcasts from Canada. A user who calls uh, themselves KHRQ. It's very short and to the point. It's a five-star review. And it says, Discovery Debrief crew members are very well learned of Star Trek Universe and I found this podcast my tether to the Star Trek verse. Each episode is a deep and an eloquent dive. Much appreciated, everybody. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate anybody that takes the time to listen to this show. Uh, we love putting it out for you, and I hope that you continue to enjoy listening to it. I am going to leave the reviews there, but I do have a couple more to share next time from Facebook. All right. So uh, we'll move along to the next medium. Fake news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just a Russian bot. Right? <laughs> At least we're popular with something. <laughs> they are my favorite comrades, duh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that is going to do it for episode number 48 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air eventually. <laughs> or multiple times. <laughs> multiple times. We just love reading those. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter our Facebook like page or by emailing us at hailing frequencies at discovery Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss a brand new adventure from the final frontier. As always though, until we meet again, please 
Go boldly, my friends. 